0: news drives markets and every day Montel's experienced reporters are on top of the stories that shape European market developments can you afford to miss out? go to montelnews.com for the latest price driving stories and a free trial
1: Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bring you energy matters in an informal setting. My name is Richard Sveresen and today's pod is all about renewables and how they could transform Europe's energy systems. The questions I'd like us to address today would be where's the growth? How will new projects be financed in a world short of cash after the coronavirus crisis? With costs plunging for wind and solar and new technologies such as batteries becoming ever more sophisticated and efficient, what will be the consequences of cheap green energy for gas and coal? I'm joined today by Rana Adib, Executive Director of REN21, a renewables think tank. A warm welcome to you, Rana.
0: Thank you very much, Richard. Hello.
1: Hello. I was thinking we could start off. I know you're a sort of you look at things globally, Rana, but we I wanted to to start off by looking at Europe and uh, one of the big focuses now is on e- the EU green transition, the EU Green Deal. What do you make of this at the moment, the current level of discussions and the ambitions that are on the table?
0: Yes, so I do think that uh, the re- European Green Deal is indeed something which is uh, quite unique because uh, there is really a proposal to create the first carbon neutral region by 2050. And I think this is something which puts uh, basically a framework which is interesting and also put this basically at the center of all our actions. So I think that is something which is very good and ambitious. Also, with regard to this, I think the opportunity we have here too is that it is about decarbonizing our economies, not only in the power sector, but also in all our activities. So we're looking into buildings, industry, transport, and uh, the economic activity. So here is a real opportunity to basically drive a renewable energy transition.
1: And do you think the COVID-19 crisis has has slowed that down or has it kind of provided more momentum for what happens uh, in the recovery period for renewables?
0: There are two aspects to this. One is uh, it is a real advantage that the European Green Deal was already a strategy which was there. And as a result, the discussions which we see in Europe around the recovery packages and greening the recovery packages are anchored into a more global framework, I guess, and in the strategy. And that is something which is positive and which we also see positively compared to other regions. It is clear, however, that uh, we really need to take this momentum because the economic recovery packages are an opportunity to spend money. And so you can spend this money only once. So if we don't use this money in a sustainable way, I guess, uh, in a smart way, and uh, invest into efficiency and renewables and really investment that allowed to decarbonize the region, then uh, we take a risk here. So I think there is an opportunity. There is, however, one thing which is also clear. When we're talking about the energy transition, there is a structural change which needs to happen. And the economic or the recovery packages... Will not be enough to drive this because it's not only about money. It's also about creating the right rules to make the transition happen.
1: What kind of rules are you talking about there, Anna? Could you give us some examples?
0: So clearly, um, the market rule, the support for renewable energy and efficiency, but also pacing out fossil fuel subsidies, stopping investing in fossil fuels and uh, creating regulatory frameworks for the electricity markets, but also really spreading renewable energy and efficiency into the other sectors which are lagging behind so into the building sector industry and transport
1: absolutely those are the key in terms of the the, there's often called the the sector coupling isn't it but um if we look at the the financing of renewables how how do you see this going forward i mean uh, you know you've had phenomenal growth in markets that have have provided you know a lot of subsidies and pumped loads of cash into into renewables how do you see this moving on where should the financing come and what are the methods that should be used
0: so um, very clearly i think uh, the good news is uh, indeed and this is especially true for renewable energy power so the electricity part which is building on solar pv and wind we really have a huge success story here and the least cost option and this is also why Basically, investment is going here and we, for instance, also see that private money is going into that direction. However, when we're looking into the other sectors, we don't see the same success story. I think that is something, uh, one thing to mention. And here we need to continue the support for renewable energy or accelerate it and be much more ambitious in these sectors. In general, I would say what we see globally is that the investment basically into renewables capacities in power and in fuel, has basically only increased slightly from 2018 to 2019. It's of 282 billion US dollars. And um, this is actually something which is positive because it shows that uh, costs have gone down more. But it is also critical because it shows that the finance is not flowing enough. I mean, we need to accelerate, basically increase uh, the finance uh, much more to be able to reach the Paris Agreement.
1: Mm-hmm. But how should we do that? I mean, what what's the best way to do that?
0: The best way to do that is, I think, having clear strategies mm-hmm. so that the governments are saying we're going in that direction and we want the private sector also to go in that direction, creating the market rules, developing basically investing in renewable heat and uh, renewable fuels for the transport sector and also linking e-mobility to renewable energy more so that investment is going in that direction. And here governments can actually be quite active by using their public procurement to create the market so that the private sector also invests in that direction. And then, um, and I think that is something which is interesting in the European Green Deal, It's basically their structural fund they have for the energy transition and where the objective is actually to also leverage money, money from the private sector. Another aspect which we also see here, and uh, this is addressing basically the structural issue we have, it is not enough to only support efficiency in renewable energy. It is also clear that we need to stop investing into fossil fuel. And I think the divestment movements we see, for instance, on behalf of the European uh, Investment Bank, but also uh, the Norwegian Sovereign Fund, etc., are really good indicators but need to clearly become mainstream.
1: I mean, it's it, we're almost there in some ways. I mean, it's almost a, a week doesn't go, you know, goes by, you know, with, with a new uh, investment bank or pension fund pulling out of fossil fuels. So the momentum certainly there, I think, Rana. But how, I mean, if we can talk about renewable energy in, in terms of electricity, because I think that's what a lot of our listeners are, are interested in. We've seen a huge growth in the power purchase agreements or PPAs in recent years. Do you, Do you think these are the chief driver for this sector for renewable electricity
0: they are not the chief driver i think the fact that they are growing is really positive because it shows that basically today investing in renewable energy power uh, so in renewable power is uh, a no-brainer it's uh, the least cost option and it's often even more economic or more competitive than even operating uh, existing existing fossil fuel plants That is something which is obviously a changemaker and brings the traction. However, when we're looking into Europe, for instance, here, only 5% of the solar PV installations and 11% of wind power were corporate PPAs. So it shows that there is still a lot of space for development. I would also say, I mean, I would argue, yes, renewable power is the success story. So for your listeners very much interested in this. So I think the positive story is two-thirds of the investment in new capacities, uh, power capacities, are building on renewable energy versus fossil fuel. But today, even in the power sector, we only have globally 26.4% of the power demand, which is covered by renewable energy. So there is still a lot of space for improvement. And if we are really serious about the Paris Agreement, then it really means stopping to produce electricity with fossil fuels and phasing the that If
1: we can talk about Europe here, before we talk a little bit more globally as well, which regions in Europe are sort of booming? I mean, we know, you know, the UK, uh, Germany, Northern Europe for wind, Spain, Italy for solar. Which what areas are maybe lagging behind a bit? Or show the most potential maybe is another way of putting that.
0: So showing the more potential, I would really say like when we're talking about uh, 26.4%, I think in uh, the electricity sector, in Europe we're at more than 30%, I think maybe 30%. 33, 34% of renewable electricity, obviously there's potential everywhere still in Europe. I think what is interesting is we see that the solar photovoltaic is really a boom which is happening in all European countries and even countries uh, which are lagging behind and uh, even in Poland that is the only country in the EU that has actually not, uh, not subscribed to the European Green Deal. That is something which is interesting. So we see that uh, Spain has become basically for the first time, the top installer, Germany, Netherlands, France, are driving this. And in the wind sector, however, this is much more concentrated. So there is uh, the UK, Spain, Germany, Sweden and France. When we're looking into the heating sector, um, that is really something very much driven uh, by Scandinavian countries. And on the um, electric mobility, or when we're looking, for instance, into biomethane and natural gas, uh, France is leading. And that is something which is also an opportunity for developing very much uh, renewable energy in heating, but also in transportation. So um, it is spread. What is very clear is, and, and I think that is also linking very much to the development of the e-mobility or developments of renewable hydrogen. These structural changes and developments of decarbonization only work if in parallel we also build up the renewable power capacities. And that is something which uh, partly is still very much decoupled. So I take the examples of uh, electric vehicles. Austria is worldwide the only country that connects support for purchasing an electric vehicle to the subscription of a renewable power purchase agreement. It's the only country worldwide. And that is something which obviously can become generalized very quickly. And it's not happening. And on the hydrogen part, and I think in Europe, we have the hydrogen, uh, clearly the hydrogen strategy here. And I think it is important to invest in this because a renewable base hydrogen is an opportunity to decarbonize sectors that are difficult to decarbonize. But in parallel, we are really uh, lacking the ramp up on the renewable power capacity building side and that is clearly reflected by investment going down also in Europe
1: Absolutely and I, I'd like to sort of stick then with the points you made about hydrogen I mean the development there is still very much in its infancy, it's, it's embryonic in a way when when do, would you expect this to kind of mature as a, as a renewable technology, I, I presume you're talking green, green hydrogen rather than the grey variety.
0: So uh, to be honest I think uh, we should only speak about green hydrogen, of course, so,
1: of course. Uh, that's
0: the first thing, so I think uh, but uh, it's important to underline this because uh, you see that in the discussions, it's not always the case. Today, green hydrogen is clearly, okay, technically it's feasible. Economically, we're not there yet. And I think it's really good to invest in this technology because we also see that it takes some time. So if we see today the renewable power being such a success story, I guess, it is the result of policies and strategic uh, industrial developments, etc which took place over 10 years ago and started taking place uh, over 10 years ago and materialized today, basically. So it's very clear that on the hydrogen front, we need to invest as soon as possible in developing these so that we can also have mature technologies, the industry, um, cost uh, reductions, etc., the way we need them so that it's being picked up by markets. I think what is really important here is not to forget, because there is a bit of a trend, and especially in Europe, we see this. And I think we need to combine the longer term strategy with short term actions. So, for strategic reasons, developing renewable based hydrogen is fundamental. However, we should not forget that there are actually already cost efficient technologies which can be implemented right now. And considering the fact that we have basically 10 years left to fight climate change. We cannot concentrate, uh, we cannot put basically everything on one horse, which is renewable-based hydrogen. We need to invest in reducing energy demand now. We need to accelerate basically uh, renewable power development, but also developing and implementing renewable uh, thermal renewable energy solutions in the building sector, in the industry sector and uh, developing uh, sustainable biofuels and biomethane for the transport sector.
1: Absolutely. So what again I mean it's very clear what what you'd like to be done both in the short term you know as well as the long term strategy but what concrete measures should governments or the commission put forward at this stage? to enable that to happen or to speed it up?
0: So concrete measures, I think, first concrete uh, thinking, and we'll talk about this. uh, So next week we're going to launch the Renewables Global Status Report 2020. And uh, we'll be quite outspoken about basically the systemic change which needs to happen because there is a structural shift which is fundamental. What is very clear is today we cannot rely only on the renewable energy power successes or on the renewable power successes, so electricity, we really need to look into all sectors. And this means that we need to have governance basically to develop the same ambition and even be more ambitious in the building sector, in industry and in transport. And this is not happening. And this is not happening worldwide uh, in terms of targets and policies. Basically, the increase is flat. We have 161 countries that have a renewable power regulatory frameworks compared to 70 in transport and 20 more or less in heating and cooling. So two, there is a disconnect. The other part is phasing out fossil fuels. We still have, I think it's approximately over 110 countries that are subsidizing fossil fuel. And in sectors like the heating and the transport sector that are highly dependent on fossil fuel, we also need to phase out fossil fuel here. So a fossil fuel ban is something uh, which needs to be considered. And I think, obviously, this means like accompanying also the sectors that depend very much on fossil fuel and have this as a core business to also make uh, the transition of their own businesses. And I think that is something where we see that, for instance, in the heating sector, skilling and reskilling people, using the procurement, the public procurement possibilities to create market and demand then have a stronger integration between these different sectors. We still see that the energy supply discussion is often very much uh, disconnected of decarbonization strategies in other energy sectors, so on the energy demand side. And I really think this um, the carbon strategy um, on the European side is a real opportunity here.
1: There'll be more detail emerging from that in the the months to come. Where does this put nuclear, Rana? Because obviously that's for some countries that's a key pillar of their decarbonization uh, policy but what's your view here at Ren 21 what do you how do you view nuclear
0: so basically uh, nuclear is uh, obviously when we're looking into the co2 emissions something which is positive uh, the reality is however that uh, when we're talking about climate change we cannot only talk about the co2 emissions but also the resilience of the energy system to climate change and we already see that there is a lot of stress actually uh, on some nuclear plants because of the increased uh, temperatures. So uh, last summer, we're, during the heat waves, some nuclear plants could not continue their operation because they could not cool down sufficiently. So it's very clear that uh, for this reason, um, I think even in the climate context, we need to be, and we are quite outspoken that that nuclear is not a not a sustainable and a resilient solution. The other part, obviously, is uh, the question of other social and environmental um, impacts of nuclear. So unresolved question of how to handle the nuclear uh, power waste. So there is uh, other risks here that need to be taken into account. And then there is clearly another one, which is an economic answer. Today, renewable power is the least cost option. So nuclear, this does not make sense economically.
1: Yeah, I want to come back to that for one of my final questions, Rana. But, you know, as a result, and even due to developments before the COVID-19 crisis, but maybe in the middle of the coronavirus crisis, we saw prices of fossil fuels come tumbling do you see there's a danger that some countries will take this as an opportunity to halt the growth of renewables and and go back to the old uh, the dirty fuels as such
0: Yes, I think there is a there. This depends on the countries, and it depends on the climate strategy very much of the countries, and also how this is really anchored in the economic system. There is obviously a risk. I think in the power sector, uh, less so, even though in Asia we clearly see, for instance, that coal is being pushed very much, considering basically uh, the cost situation. And uh, here in Europe, we see obviously natural gas. I do see. In particular, a big risk for um, sectors and energy sectors are, that are highly dependent on fossil fuel. And uh, these are uh, heating, uh, especially heating in buildings and industry and in transport. We're basically globally uh, in the heating sector. We have a share of 10 uh, percent renewable energy only and in transport of uh, something like a, a bit over 3 percent. I think the European situation is a bit more positive. I think it's 20% and 8% probably in heating and cooling and in transport. But um, obviously these sectors are highly dependent. And today the political ambition is not there yet to make these sectors also evolve. So what we clearly need here from the governments is clear targets, policies, supporting policies, accompanying the sectors to move in that direction, a stronger integration uh, between these sectors and the power sector, so also investment into grids, the link between efficiency and heat pumps and renewable electricity, for instance, and uh, then clearly uh, fossil fuel bans. I think this is something which we see where some European countries, I, I'm sorry, I don't have them in mind, but uh, some European countries already have uh, basically a ban, for instance, on oil and gas boilers in buildings and also in the diesel vehicles, uh, for instance, in the transport sector. But we need more.
1: Absolutely. So I think the other flip side, of course, is with the you know, if you're building new electricity capacity, you see that the, the cost of gas-fired plant or coal-fired fire plant versus installing solar or wind, I mean, uh, you know, the renewables is, is much, much cheaper. So is, is, does that also spell in some ways the end for, 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 for coal and gas more globally? I'm thinking potentially Asia, Africa, Latin and, Latin and South America.
0: So I think it's much cheaper, but it's much cheaper because basically the external cost of these fuels. So the impact on health, on air pollution and also uh, social impacts are not taken into account. And uh, if there is one lesson to learn from COVID is if we don't integrate these, the societies will still need to pay at one point or the other. And uh, this is actually a reason why we, uh, why basically COVID is also leading to such an economic crisis. I do think there is a lot of learning here. If we are smarter and have a preventive investment here, we are not creating a similar possible, and basically it's not only possible, but it's a basically secure crisis, which uh, we will need to address as a result of climate change. The true cost of fossil fuel is of 5.2 trillion euros (laughs) per year and that is huge and uh, we just need to keep in mind that unfortunately we're still in a situation where the subsidies uh, don't uh, reflect the real cost and then the the market prices do not reflect the societal cost of these technologies and another problem is clearly if we don't make the shift here we are also locking out renewable energy
1: that's the other angle of course as a final question runner um You know, we're seeing lots of policy measures coming from Brussels, which we already have some idea what's coming, some which we don't. But what's on your wish list?
0: So on my wish list, first one, uh, that is basically that we have a climate quota in the EU budget of 25 percent. And this is, I think, too low given the scale of challenge we're facing and also given the importance of structural change, which we need to address. The other part is to basically replicate in the heating and the transport sector. And when we're talking about heating, it is in the building and in the industry sector, replicate the success story of renewable energy power. We can learn very much from this. And this means like much more ambitious targets, policy and regulatory frameworks, accompanying the industry to move into these sectors and creating the markets. And this requires that we develop clear Strategies and plans that are not only general and economically and referring to the energy supply side, but that we also look at the demand side and bring other players to the table, and building on this, a stronger integration between um, the energy sector, so the producing sector and the supply side. I mentioned uh, the link between e-mobility, electric vehicles is an opportunity to reduce the demand and transport a lot by 60%. But basically the residual third of the energy needs to be produced with renewable power. And this is something where such an integration is not happening sufficiently yet.
1: Rana, thank you very much for joining us today.
0: Thank you very much, Richard.
1: Listeners, that's about all from the Montel Weekly podcast this week. Remember to keep up to date with all our stories on Montel News. Follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Goodbye.